Welcome to another episode of the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm your co-host Chris Burke uh, on Twitter at Chris Burke NFL. Be joined here in a second by Dane Brugler, who's at DP Brugler. We got our producer uh, behind the scenes there, Kent Garrison, spinning the dials for us. Um, thanks to everyone who's listened so far. Make sure you subscribe. You know, rate us, review us, let us know what you like, you don't like. So, just gave out our Twitter handles. You can uh, give us some feedback there too. Uh, and also just a reminder that we'll have two episodes per week. One you can get for free uh, on Apple Podcasts and, uh, you know, wherever else you happen to listen to podcasts. And then the other one, uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic um, and you can get that second episode, which we'll tend to use to sort of look ahead to the coming week in both college and pro football. So this uh, first episode of the week, as we've been doing, we're going to look back at, at just what happened over the past weekend. And so uh, I'll welcome in Dane a, a Pretty entertaining weekend of games there, Dane. You're right. And college, we had the week one NFL, so it was you know, jam-packed. There were no boring moments uh, over the weekend. And on Saturday, it started with the, the early games and then the afternoon games. And then I thought saved the best for last with uh, some of the, the primetime games uh, specifically that uh, the game that we really talked about a lot last week, uh, LSU going into Austin, uh, showed out of two top 10 teams, uh, you know, two teams that don't see each other a lot. But, you know, there's a I actually looked it up. There are or there are, currently there are 17 Texans on the LSU roster and I think four uh, LSU natives on the Texas roster. So a lot of overlap there with the. Uh, the two states touching like that and, you know, re- recruiting ground being similar. And so, uh, you know, we didn't really have to do much to hype up the game because we knew it'd be a good one. And it certainly lived up to that. And it was the Joe Burrow show, uh, really, especially when we got that second half, uh, did a really nice job, uh, not only making plays, but making the clutch plays when LSU needed a play through the air he made it, and uh, especially that late touchdown on third and seventeen with uh, two minutes to go in the game. Uh, you know that I think most LSU fans were thinking, okay, you know, let's a dump off screen here, uh, maybe a handoff, and we'll try to pin him down inside their own twenty, and then make him go eighty yards to uh, to win the game. And the Joe Burrow had different different idea. He, he stepped up in the pocket. Uh, fired a strike uh, on the over route, and not only did he get the first down, but uh, the receiver was able to stretch it to uh, for the touchdown. So I was really impressed with Joe Burrow and how he performed. And look, I, I know it's only two games so far this year, uh, and Texas doesn't have the best defense. Um, you know, they they have some talent on that defense, no question. I think Brandon Jones, the safety, is going to be. Uh, you know, a top 100 uh, safety. Uh, you know, they they've got other guys on that that roster who get a chance in the NFL. But they're a young team on defense, and they they showed that. Uh, and Joe Burrow was able to take advantage. But I mean, all the credit to Joe Burrow when he was able to do. Uh, what what were your takeaways from that game? Well, you touched on the one which is just it was a little jarring to see LSU keep throwing the ball. <laughs> Like, it's just, we're just not used to that. You know, you think they're going to, especially with the lead in the second half, they're just going to, you know, run it and milk the clock and lean on that defense and kind of wound up with more of a shootout um, and and giving Joe Burrow control of that game and letting him go win it. And it was, um, you know, certainly part of the reason why it was entertaining, just that quarterback 
battle in general. Uh, I, I think it was it was pretty good play on the other side too, especially in the second half. But uh, and the other thing you touched on, the thing that really stood out for me is, like you said, just the way he sort of. Uh, Burrow manipulated the pocket and seemed comfortable back there and made those plays when things started to break down around him. You know, he wasn't taking off. Um, we know he's a guy who can get out of the pocket and run a little bit, but he didn't do that a ton. He was still looking downfield, trying to make those plays, trying to make those throws. And that's a huge piece of development really for any college quarterback. But, you know, you certainly, as you noted, uh, you know, you had your prospect recap up. Uh, on the athletic you know you noted the improvement from last year and I think that that was pretty clear with how he played in that game you had him you mentioned in that that article you had him as your number four uh, senior quarterback prospect coming into the year is that changing at all now are you higher on him two games in than you were the start of September well I'm definitely higher right now Um, and and so this is the tough part of the you know, kind of a look behind the curtain. And this is what scouts are looking at now. Okay, it's two games this year uh, and against Georgia Southern in the opener and then against Texas, which, again, the the defense obviously has cracks. Um, So what do you do with this information? You know, is it still a wait-and-see mode where you wait and see how he does against maybe some better defenses and SEC play? Do you get excited about him and start inching him up? And I think that, you know, Justin Herbert, I would be shocked if Justin Herbert is not the first senior quarterback drafted, but after him, it's it's a little bit wide open. Um, I, you know, talking to most scouts over the summer, they they mentioned Nate Stanley as the next guy, the Iowa quarterback. Um, uh, you know, Stephen Montez from Colorado's kind of right there as well. Uh, but I think Burrow's making a very strong case why he should be the number two senior quarterback in this class and a player who should be considered uh, a possibility of the top 100 picks on day two of the draft. Uh, so far, I don't think that it's a, it's a reach to say that, but again, it's, you know, we don't want to make any sweeping proclamations based off of two games. Uh, but I will say, you know, because a lot of people are stuck on last year and he had uh, like 57% completions and uh, really struggled. He was up and down. And yes, that is true. But he has a full season under his belt now in Baton Rouge where, you know, because he was a grad transfer from Ohio State, still getting his feet wet uh, last year at LSU. Uh, he has better targets this year. The coaching staff is better than what LSU had last year. And I went back, and since that Alabama game, that first week in November, Joe Burrow has played six games. Over those six games, so four after the Alabama game last year, two this year, he has a 19-2 touchdown-interception ratio, and he's averaging 320 passing yards per game. And LSU's 5-1 and one over that stretch, with the only loss coming in that overtime thriller against A&M. So... This isn't just uh, a two-game stretch. This is a four-game or a six-game stretch if you include every game since an Alabama game. So I give a lot of credit to Joe Burrow because he is progressing. He is ascending. He is uh, being a better quarterback than what we saw the first two months of last year. And really, that should be expected when you consider he was a grad transfer who just came into the program and things around him are changing with uh, his targets and the coaching staff. So but now it's okay. Can he sustain this um, with LSU uh, starting SEC play? Not next week, but the following week. Uh, is he going to be able to do this against Alabama's and uh, some of the tougher defenses like Mississippi State, uh, Auburn, and some of those other SEC West teams? That will really tell us. But I think right now is I, I think it's understandable to be a little optimistic 
about Joe Burrow and his draft prospects. Yeah, you mentioned that they got that schedule coming up. Uh, it gets pretty brutal here. I mean, they should be uh, they should be able to get. They got Northwestern State this coming weekend. Uh, they go to Vanderbilt. They they got kind of that trap game maybe that we've talked about a little bit before when Utah State goes down there to play. But should be five and zero when they start. And they've got a stretch of four games where they play Florida, then they go to Mississippi State, they play Auburn, Alabama back-to-back. So if there are any lingering questions about Joe Burrow, you know, probably answered uh, in that stretch. I think you got to give credit, too, to uh, – you mentioned the overlap in the states on these rosters, but, it, you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, uh, Terrace Marshall, their three wide receivers, leading wide receivers for LSU, all uh, Louisiana boys played pretty well in that game, too. Um, and that kind of leads me into a flip to the other side of the ball where we talked about Colin Johnson the uh, last week, the Texas receiver, as we sort of previewed this game. But, um, you know, they had another guy step up and really play well in the second half there, Devin Duvernay. Uh, just your thoughts. Uh, you know, again, we're early in the season here, but he was um, – he was impressive in that second half and we've talked a bunch even in these first few episodes of our show about you know finding guys who sort of fit where nfl offenses are going and i think you can kind of pick out some schemes in the nfl that look like would be a nice fit for that type of player in space right no yeah and that's that's exactly right because yeah all eyes are on colin johnson and he he didn't have a productive game um i I thought kind of where his value came was down the field when they give him shots. And I think he attracted what, at least two pass interference penalties uh, just because of his, his sheer size and corners trying to uh, defend him. And so even though the the production, the, the catches don't look uh, great, he still had somewhat of an impact. But you're right, it was Devin Duvernay who had the much greater impact uh, among the Texas wide receivers. Only one catch in the first half. Then he exploded in the second half. He had 11 catches, 137 yards, two touchdowns. And what was most impressive was his ability after the catch. I mean, he looks like, before the catch, he looks like a wide receiver. Uh, he's running sharp routes. Uh, it, it, you know, he wasn't asked to do a ton. He was doing, uh, you know, a lot of wide receiver screens and, you know, inside slants uh, and then some streaks. But afterwards, uh, after the catch, uh, he looks like a running back. I mean, he's 5'11", 210. And you see that 210, every bit of it, in his lower body. Uh, he's got thick legs, uh, and he's very tough as a runner. He's not afraid to lower his pads. And Grant Delpit got that, got the most of that. Um, I posted in the, my recap, I posted the clip. Uh, he lowers his pads, and Grant Delpit comes in for the tackle, at, like Grant Delpit almost always makes, uh, uh, tacking downhill, and he just bounces right off of him, and Delpit goes on his backside. Meanwhile, Duvernay's picking up extra yardage. It was really, really impressive uh, from the wide receiver. So, uh, yeah, it was not a great game for the LSU defensive backs that we talked about. Uh, Christian Fulton, Grant Delpit, wasn't a terrible game, just was not the big game we thought they could have. Uh, but credit to Duvernay because he stepped up when Texas needed him. A lot of catch and go, a lot of Texas scheming to get the ball in his hands in space where he could make things happen. And coming into the year, I gave him, he made my top 20 senior wide receiver list uh, in my summer preview. And I gave him a six-round grade. 
But uh, I mean, he, if he's able to do more of this throughout the season, he's going to make a strong case why he should be uh, you know closer to a mid-round pick, maybe even higher. Because I, I expect him to run in the mid-four fours. He has the Jets. And with that, you know, he has that physicality uh, to him. So he's just not a pushover. So I, I like Duver- Devin Duvernay quite a bit. Uh, yeah, Delpit, uh, he had one really great play. Uh, I think it was a third down early in the game, you know, just made a great tackle in space. And then, like you said, sort of up and down the rest of the way. Um, but yeah, Duvernay definitely jumped out. Uh, we'll transition off this game, obviously, some other big games last weekend. I, you've thrown me a couple curveballs the last uh, few episodes, so I'll throw you on here just because of the type of player we're talking about with Devin Duvernay and, you know, again, that sort of speed and space concept. Um, and a guy who's jumped out a, a couple times now the, f- the first two weeks of the year uh, and is, I don't want to say he's the exact same type of player, but, you know, just sort of gives off similar vibes with the type of things he can do in the open field, you know, undersized, but stronger guy. Uh, Anthony McFarland over in Maryland. Um, I, I just wanted to mention him because he was so good again on Saturday. I know you had uh, a pretty positive ranking for him headed into the year. Um I don't know if you've had a chance to watch him or not, but like I said, I just wanted to throw his name out while we're talking about guys who can create with the ball in their hands because he's been so impressive early on. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, he he is a guy who, when I sat down over the summer to do my top five uh, running backs, uh, the first few I knew were going to be pretty easy with uh, Travis Etienne and DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and Eno Benjamin. But that fifth guy, I was really struggling with because uh, there were so many different options. I really like Zach Moss from Utah, the senior, but coming off an injury, wasn't sure about him. Um, uh, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, I just, I, I like him. I just, it, it's hard for me to put him in the first, you know, 50 picks. Um, I don't think he's that type of player. Cam Akers, I think, is really talented. But I went with Anthony McFarland because of what he did against Ohio State. Uh, I thought that if that game is a microcosm of his uh, of what he can do of his overall talent level, then Anthony McFarland uh, has a chance to be a beast. I mean, he's he's short, but he's not small. He, he's got a compact body type. Uh, and what I really like about him is his vision to cut and go. Uh, he. he has the patience, the vision where he can see the the defense, anticipate the run lane, and then once he feels it, he gets north and south, and he sticks his foot in the ground and he goes. Uh, and so far, we've seen that. You're right. I mean, he's uh, he, he's been a, a guy that now Maryland likes to spread out the wealth. I mean, they got a lot of different guys that they'll get the get the ball in their hands. But Anthony McFarland, I think, might be the best of the group, uh, and he's he's done a nice job against uh, you know some suspect. Uh, defenses. So I'm eager to see him coming up this uh, upcoming Saturday, going up against Temple, a better defense, uh, to see if he can still do it. Because this guy, when he gets the ball in his hands, you just kind of sit back, sit up in your seat and say, okay, what's he going to do? Because he, he's exciting. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll swing back into the Big Ten here in a minute because we got a couple other guys we wanted to touch on off uh, last weekend's action. But the other big one, obviously, on Saturday was Texas A&M Clemson. And uh, kind of interesting because... It, Texas A&M really did a pretty good job against Travis Etienne, who we talked about headed into that game, Um, you know, sort of forced Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball a bit. And then, you know, we saw those Clemson wide receivers make some plays. Justin Ross, who I'm sure we'll be talking about, uh, assuming this podcast is going next year, a guy that we'll be talking about heading into that draft. Um, And and then T Higgins, who you spotlighted in uh, your prospect recap, just 
I mean, his body control on some of those plays that he made, you you put up the clip of the, the tip catch that he made, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. He had another one down near the goal line that, you know, credit to Trevor Lawrence, he threw that pass where, you know, it was only – it is either going to be an incredible catch or an incompletion, but it turned into an incredible catch. Like just the plays that he makes in those difficult spots, uh, it was it was something to watch on Saturday in that Clemson win. Yeah, it was, and you know, it was the final score didn't really. I mean, twenty four ten. So it, it looked like it was a pretty good game, but. I don't, Clemson controlled the game really from the start, um, and uh, Texas A&M really never felt like they were a legitimate contender to uh, win that football game. Uh, it, it just I, I don't know. Kellen Mond, you expected to see more of or some you know better play. I don't know if it's just being on the road, and uh, he didn't get a lot of help from his targets. Uh, that needs to be said. There are a lot of drops in that game by A&M receivers, and that might have been really the big difference uh, between the two. Because, and, and I, I will say this: as much as we love Trevor Lawrence and say talk about him being the clear cut top guy, and he has not looked great the first two weeks. He's looked okay. He's looked good. But he has not looked great, and I think that's part of that's a product of how good he did look in the national title game and towards the end of last year, and the hype being so 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 high for him. Um, it, it could be tough to to meet that, you know, through the first two games. But um, it, really, it's been his targets that have been, uh, I, I think, the bigger story. And T. Higgins, uh, the clip that I posted of, and it's just a simple ten yard play. But, uh, you know, he, he's in the slot. He runs an over route. He does a nice job uh, getting in between the linebacker and safety levels. And uh, Lawrence hits him. But before he does, the linebacker, who's kind of dropping a little bit, is able to find the passing lane, get his hand up, and adjust the flight path. And in a matter of just microseconds, uh, T. Higgins is able to adjust and the reflexes and the focus to do that, the body control, like you mentioned, to reach back and make that catch is just astounding. It's really, really impressive. And he makes it look easy. And then uh, like two plays later, he's able to uh, make a similar type of play except down the field. Uh, where he's able to reach behind him and uh, make a play on the ball, and he's down at the inside the three yard line, and they were able to punch it in. So uh, the wide receivers have really stood out for Clemson, like we expected. T. Higgins coming in, he was my number like four wide receiver. Uh, just it's such a loaded position. Uh, I think at the top with uh, Lavisca Chenault and Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb, T. Higgins. Um, I think it's really those top four, and each of the top four have something different to offer. Uh, as as pass catchers, uh, as, as prospects, and so it's just kind of what kind of what type of receiver are you looking for? T. Higgins, he's got a little AJ Green to him because he has that tall, uh, slender body type, but he's super athletic and he's able to make athletic plays on the football in the air. Um, and so you know, it depends on what type of receiver you're looking for with Chenault. CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, T. Higgins, but I think all four of these guys are showing why they belong in the top 20 picks of next year's draft. Yeah, sort of to your Trevor Lawrence point, like that throw on the tip was not to nitpick individual throws, but that was, you know, obviously the linebacker dropped right in the line of sight, like safety, there were two safeties there waiting over the top, like that was a pretty tight window. Um, (laughs) That was about the only way that play was going to get completed. Uh, but uh, on the topic of top 20 guys, I said we wanted to circle back into the Big Ten and someone we've mentioned a couple times uh, already because he is 
just such a high prospect in this coming class is uh, Tristan Wirfs at Iowa, who um, saw a lot of action on the left side this week. He was kind of flip-flopping back and forth between the left and right side, but he played on the left side primarily this week after um, – you know they were hit with an injury up front. So your uh, your thoughts, I guess, on just how he looked in that play in that performance? Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but received a lot of questions about okay, well, Werf's your top tackle, and he's rated as a top fifteen pick, but why is he playing right tackle? Why isn't it left <laughs> right. tackle? And really, it's just because Alaric Jackson, who I, he also made my top fifty. Uh, but he plays left tackle for Iowa because he struggled at right tackle. And in order for Iowa to get their two best tackles on the field, they put Werfs at right tackle because they know Werfs can do either one. Left tackle, right tackle, it doesn't matter. Where Jackson is much, much more comfortable at left tackle. And so that's really the reason. But with Jackson out for a few weeks with a knee issue, Werfs kicks over to left tackle. And so I was really eager to see what he looked like uh you know, again, it is against Rutgers. You know, it, you can only take so much from that. But in terms of the movements, the power, the technique, uh, the body control, uh, the way he uses hands, the timing, it was all on point. And so, you know, it, it doesn't matter the competition so much. I'm, I'm focused more on the player and how he moves and how he looks in space. And there was no drop off or worse uh, going from the right side to the left side uh, as expected. And so, yeah, I, I think he did a really nice job and showed why, uh, you know, he's right there in the mix with Andrew Thomas at Georgia and Leatherwood at Alabama to be uh, the top tackle in this class if he comes out. Uh, he's just such a talented, talented player. And, you know, we, we saw it over uh, week one in the NFL. If uh, there are some uh yeah there's quite a few teams that need tackle help and uh you know the browns stick out immediately uh with what's going on in cleveland there's some really talented tackles in this upcoming class i know that doesn't help nfl teams right now but uh, as we look forward to the offseason there's going to be some reinforcements coming uh on the offensive line and one other tackle i did want to mention circling back to the texas lsu game was uh sam cosme uh the left tackle for texas who i thought did a really nice job uh, against Chase on the uh, LSU edge defender who's so explosive off the ball, the speed to wrap the corner and get to the quarterback. But Cosme really did a nice job with his feet, with his hands, his technique. Uh, only a redshirt sophomore, but uh, he's he did a really, really nice job. I think the future is bright for both of those players, uh, Chase on and Cosme, who uh, I, I thought Cosme got the best of it, but they both, uh, I thought, performed well on Saturday night. Uh, let's... Let's quickly transition to uh, the NFL side, and you were uh, had a seat for that. Uh, I'll use the word interesting uh, <laughs> game in Arizona uh, between Detroit uh, and Cardinals, and it was you know when we talk uh, this this podcast, obviously we're focusing on rookies uh, as well as you know draft prospects, and so uh, but Kyler Murray, uh, T.J. Hawkinson, you saw two. Top 10 picks, and both uh, had uh, pretty good debuts. Kyler Murray, not so much through three quarters, but the way he finished, I think Cardinal fans can be optimistic, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, before I get into that, I just want to mention our, a quick <laughs> on Tristan Wirfs, our, uh, I, the Athletics uh, Iowa beat writer, Scott Dockerman, had a uh, 
great quote from Tristan Wirfs on playing left tackle Saturday uh, was a quote. Uh, it's kind of like wiping your butt with the other hand when you first start doing it. Uh, <laughs> just feels awkward. Uh, that might be too much information, but that's kind of what it is. So I just wanted to make sure we got that out there <laughs> on the airwaves. Uh, <laughs> that, that's, I, I didn't see that. That's good. I, I'm glad you did get that in there. Uh, that's, but yeah, the, I, from what I've heard, that, that sums up. Tristan works. Uh, that's the guy he's, I've heard good things about, like he's got some off field stuff, uh, uh, mostly alcohol related, just more underage kid stuff that you, you do in college. Nothing. I think you need to be too alarmed about everything I've heard is he's a uh, high character kid who uh, likes to joke around that kind of thing. And I think that that quote, pretty much sums it up <laughs> yeah and, and as you know as we've talked about a little bit too the nfl sort of moving away there's always been this idea of like you've got to have your athletic you know tackle on the left side and then your power you know run blocking tackle on the right side that's sort of how nfl teams have always done it and i think it's right shifting away from that just because you're seeing so many different defenses looks and so many more dynamic edge guys and um, so I, I don't know that there's necessarily as big a split in the designation anymore, but to have just some left tackle tape out there, I'm sure will come up later down the road and I'm, he's probably not done playing on that side. So, uh, can add to that as we go, but yeah, the Kyler Murray, the Lions Cardinals game, like the Lions, uh, uh, always find a way to make those things happen at the end of game somehow. Um, as you said, it was sort of a slow go for those first three quarters i think probably to be expected to some extent you know rookie head coach rookie quarterback trying to find their footing and really uh, the lions defensively did a nice job of uh, sort of pinning murray in and and you know staying in their lanes keeping him from getting out of the pocket too much and running he barely had any rushing yards uh in those first three quarters so but yeah you saw him settle down saw him hit hit kind of a rhythm i think that they got in to a better groove with the play calls, getting David Johnson involved more, hitting on some of those short throws. I think that this offense has to be a lot of the, you know, it's going to be a lot of the short passes and just let guys go make plays. He obviously had a couple, you know, Larry Fitzgerald made two ridiculous downfield catches in traffic that uh, without those catches, they probably lose that game. So that obviously helps. I'm sure he'll uh, lean on him moving forward. But uh, definitely some stuff to build on from Kyler Murray. It'll be kind of interesting because I think we know what he is as an athlete and how dangerous he is when he can get out of the pocket and does find those lanes. And, you know, whether he's throwing on the run or taking off, uh, he can be dangerous in those ways. I don't know that he's at this moment a great, you know, read option quarterback necessarily where he's going to keep the ball on those plays and and make uh, a ton of yards every time. So I'll see how that develops as he goes forward in this offense. But again, I think they found their footing with the play calling. Um, I, I think he settled in when they were able to just get him some nice, easy throws and rhythm. Uh, the Lions did back off their coverage, I think, a little bit. Uh, not necessarily up front, but just seemed like they were playing off a little bit more uh, with their corners as they were trying to protect that lead. And that let him hit some of those you know, those throws to the flat and a couple of those quick, quick slants just to sort of rack up the completions and, and get into a groove. And yeah, like you said, it, it's a, it's a good building block for them. And especially, you know, your rookie quarterback, it's your first game as a, the number one overall pick, ton of pressure, you're down 18 in the fourth quarter and you come back and at least salvage the tie. So there's something to be said for just the composure to be able to do that after three pretty shaky quarters. Yeah, no, I agree. The, 
the mental toughness. Uh, a lot of quarterback, rookie quarterbacks in their debut, uh, you know, being the number one overall pick, all the expectations and hype that come with that. After a nightmare first few quarters, it'd be easy to let that just the weight of that bring you down. And, uh, you know, you're worrying about, you know, you're at home, you're hearing the booze, you're it, it would be tough in that situation. But credit to him to battle back from that. And because really, I mean, Kyler Murray did not uh, experience much. Uh, you know, let down at Oklahoma. I mean, they, you know, the, maybe the only game was uh, against, uh, you know, against Alabama uh, where he was shaky up and down. But for the most part, he played outstanding all year last year. And so this is a little bit of new territory. And I thought he answered well. And that was one of the questions was, okay, when things get tough, is he going to be able to battle back? And I, I think he showed uh, that he did. And yeah, there's another rookie in that game who, who stood out, TJ Hawkinson, a uh, pretty good debut for him too. Yeah. Uh, most was it the most receiving yards by a rookie tight end in week one in NFL history. So that says something. Oh, that's it. Um, I mean, and yeah, he, he could have had 15 or 20 more yards probably. And I thought it was, you know, uh, the Lions new offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel is getting clobbered locally because of they got pretty conservative in the fourth quarter but i thought the play calling the first three quarters and especially the way they used hawkinson uh was really interesting that's i'm actually was working on something uh for our site right before we started recording you know there's a lot of sort of the chris alt you know pistol offense and uh what they did with Hawkinson, both as a blocker and as a receiver, they were able to sort of slip him out into space a couple times. Um, I mean, I think the thing that was most impressive live is, and this is after watching him really all through the spring and summer too here in Detroit. Uh, I I think he looked faster with the ball in his hand Sunday than I've seen him really at any point since he got in into you know the, the Lions organization. Like he had a couple of catches where he was able to turn up field and. And really just kind of leave, you know, the one off play action where he got behind a linebacker and turned turned it into a 30, 35 yard gain. And it, the linebacker never had a chance of chasing him down. Like he looked really fast. I forget the exact number. You know, they had the next next gen uh, tracker up on him, but it was almost like 14 miles an hour or whatever, or 19 miles an hour at his top speed. You know, it was he was cruising like uh, I just we knew he was a good athlete i don't know that i necessarily recognize the top end speed that he has and that's another element that you could see some of those plays you know linebacker safety whoever they had covering him were giving him some of that cushion because they were worried about him stretching the field vertically and that's if the lions can keep taking advantage of that i mean he uh is set up to really have a huge year because you can already see how big a piece of their offense he's going to be Absolutely. And, you know, I think the, the chemistry that uh, Stafford uh, showed with, with Hawkinson, I, that's, yeah, I, I, if you're a Lions fan, you're optimistic. And if you have Hawkinson on your fantasy football team, I think you have to be uh, optimistic because it seems like that's going to be uh, something they look to utilize uh, as part of the offense moving forward. Uh, two other rookies that I wanted to mention, um, Marquise Brown, uh, Baltimore. Uh, he... There were some questions about, okay, he's undersized. Uh, is he going to be able to stay healthy? 
and with Lamar Jackson a quarterback. Uh, you know, he is it kind of a is a is it a mis, mismatch fit because J- Browns your downfield threat where Lamar Jackson's the better runner, uh, underneath thrower. You know, is he going to be able to connect with Brown for enough big plays? Okay, well the first time Brown touches the football, it's a forty-seven yard uh, slant that he takes to the house. The next time he touches the football, uh, it's a deep corner route that he's able to take 83 yards uh, for the touchdown. So it's, uh, you know, I think those concerns are alleviated a little bit uh, with the the strong showing that Lamar Jackson had. And then also the rookie. Uh, We know the speed. If you get him the ball down the field, uh, you know, underneath in space and just let him let him do work. um, Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's not going to get hit because of, of the speed. So. Uh, definitely have to mention Marquise Brown. And then I also wanted to mention Miles Sanders, a running back for the Eagles. Uh, you know, the, the box score stats don't look amazing, but it, you know, I slipped them between games. And it seems like whenever I went to the, the Redskins Eagles game, Miles Sanders was in pass protecting. And for a rookie in the opener, that he must have done enough in training camp where the coaches felt good leaving him home where he could stand up uh, blitzers and do a nice job of, uh, to keep Carson Wentz, give him those extra seconds. And so, you know, then that's why during the draft process, we're going to talk so much about pass protection uh, and just being more than just a runner for these uh, these running backs. Because if you're able to show that you can do that and do it well, handle those different assignments, uh, at least slow down blitzers then that's the quickest way as a running back that you're going to be able to get on the field. And we're seeing that with Miles Sanders, who we know Doug Peterson likes to do a running back by committee, but Miles Sanders is getting uh, the bulk of those uh, snaps because of what he can do in pass protection. And so that's just a, a little an example of why it's so important for these uh, these draft prospects at running back to show that they can hold up in pass protection. Yeah, I'm the uh, the fantasy owner who was sitting there tearing his hair out because he wanted to wait and see what Marquise Brown was going to be like as an NFL player before playing him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I left some points on my bench. Uh, but yeah, those uh, Miles Sanders certainly a guy to keep an eye on moving forward. I thought Josh Jacobs had a nice game. Uh, well, really a workhorse day for the Raiders in that late Monday nighter. Devin Singletary only had nine or ten touches, but he was pretty instrumental in the bills coming back to win their opener Mm -hmm. against the jets you know he certainly would expect those the number of touches to go up just how good he was with the ball in his hands i guess we'll kind of wrap up here on the other quarterback who now suddenly finds himself in a starting role uh gardner Minshew. um i I don't know how you felt about him coming in like he was he a guy you thought could be an early starter it's you know he played Given the circumstances, and I think he he played pretty well on Sunday, but is he a guy you think that can keep that, maybe not an 88% completion percentage, but uh, keep up some measure of success moving forward here? Uh, it was great to see. I mean, for him to step in like that for uh, the injured Nick Foles and uh, immediately have that type of production, it's not like he just, you know, did okay work. I mean, he came in and was awesome and, you know, credit for him for that. Did I think he'd be able to do that? No. I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, he, he was one of my top 10 quarterbacks in last year's draft. I thought he was draftable. Um, there's a lot to like about him with his night, his quick delivery, his sound feet. Uh, I think he's a very disciplined quarterback. Um, I, I love the competitive mentality that he has. I know the moment wouldn't be too big for him. Um, he it just the, the questions were okay. 
he doesn't have a lot of production outside of Mike Leach's scheme uh, at Washington State. And, you know, he, he didn't light it up at uh, East Carolina where he was before, or Troy where he was before. Uh, so how would he adjust to the NFL game? And so far, so good. I mean, he's, he's doing a nice job. There's a little bit of... Uh, you know, I, this is a quote that I included in his report in the at, at time of the draft. But there's a little bit of Baker Mayfield into him with his, you know, his size, the energy that he brings. Uh, doesn't have the, you know, the physical traits that just wow you, but they're good enough. And so uh, it's it's just such a great story because uh, he after East Carolina after the 2017 season, he was ready to go to Alabama, be the third string quarterback, and then get a head start on being. Uh, uh, a graduate assistant uh, getting his coaching career started and at the last moment leach calls him and says why don't you come over to the west coast and you know we'll, we'll you'll uh you'll lead the country in passing and he said okay and so he goes to washington state last season does exactly that and next thing you know he's uh making plays for the jacksonville jaguars so just an amazing story and i don't think he's gonna be able to keep up obviously the pace but i do think that he might be able to be a nice bridge uh until they uh until nick Foles is able to come back uh you know who knows it's probably not gonna be for a while but uh there's a lot to like with garden gardner Minshew, and you know i'll be rooting for him yeah obviously tough to keep up with that chiefs offense in general and jaguars gave up 40 points um they go to houston next week then they've got the thursday a thursday nighter against tennessee so a tough next couple weeks We'll get a chance to see him, uh, as I said, on that Thursday nighter, national TV against the Titans. So see how Gardner Minshew performs. We'll see how Kyler Murray keeps going. And like we said, he'll be back later this week with a preview of the upcoming week in both college football and the NFL. Uh, That is our our podcast for athletic subscribers only. So make sure if you haven't subscribed yet, get on theathletic.com, pick up a subscription. We're always running uh, deals you can check out um, if you can't find one said i'm at chris burke nfl on twitter danes at dp brugler you can hit up either one of us and uh, i'm sure we can find you a few bucks off your subscription for the next year thanks to again to everyone for listening so far let us know what you think we're d- definitely uh, interested in your feedback and want to make sure the show's what you want it to be but we're having fun doing it so far and we'll be back later this week uh, with another episode of the prospects to pros podcast so for dame brugler i'm chris burke thanks for listening